Welcome, 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 everybody. I am your host, Chris Cox, and welcome to the Wild Ones podcast, where we celebrate those who work in love daily. And have I got a great guest for you. RJ Vega is a wonderful young man out of Lincoln. I really enjoy what he's doing for the community, what he's doing for himself. And I hope you are able to take a listen, find joy in what we talk about today and find joy and passion and love in what motivates RJ. So bringing to the podcast, first time ever on the show, RJ Vega, welcome. Welcome, Chris, and thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. Um, big fan of the Wild Ones, and um, yeah, I just love the conversations you've been having. Um, really appreciate the space to uh, share some of my thoughts and uh, and also learn a few things from you. Well, I will do my best <laughs> to listen, to learn, to teach, and just overall have a great conversation because I think that's the biggest point of these shows, of these episodes, is I just want to have a conversation with people. I want people to learn of others who are really putting in that effort 100% in their community, uh, whatever whatever positivity or, or however they are positively affecting their community. And I kind of wanted to sit down and talk to you about that. And I do know that I knew doing you work with in like get out to vote and voter registration. And I just want to ask, we'll jump into that and we'll kind of go into some backstory, but how is that important for people of color in the Midwest, in Lincoln, Nebraska, uh, for instance, how important is that to understand their voting rights, to understand why it's important for them to vote and to, I guess, switch the narrative that voting will change things and voting does matter? Sure. Yeah, no, that, that's an excellent question, Chris. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, what we're talking about is is power. We're talking about decision making. And, um, you know, these representatives that we elect, whether or not you as a community member in Lexington or Scotts Bluff or Omaha or Lincoln or wherever, if you're not eligible to vote, those representatives still represent you. If you are eligible, but you decide not to vote, those elected officials will still represent you. So voting is an important tool in the toolbox here to really try to get our voices, all of our voices, whether we're, you know, persons of color, maybe we're somebody uh, battling like poverty, battling health issues, so many things. The, the key about voting is that, you know, if you can have a voice and you can get your community to stand up and share their voice, you know, then hopefully you can nudge whoever's in power in the short term, but in the long term, you create a culture within your community that not only are we going to raise our voices when something is not going right, we'll give props when things are going well, but we're going to be active participants in the decision-making process. We're not just going to be told, this is how things are, you got to do things this way, we're going to be actively at that table having conversations, letting folks know what is happening in our communities, what needs to be done, what needs to be looked out for, because um, whether or not we participate, those decisions will still be made. That Those who do have power will still make decisions. And then it's going to be important that we not only have that voice, but also we cultivate, you know, especially among our, our younger generations that are watching everything that we do, cultivate that notion, that idea, that acceptance that, hey, even if I'm a kid from Kearney, Nebraska, I too can consider running for a public office. You know, whether it be something big like out in D.C., Congress or whatever, maybe it's something local, which also, and I feel we don't talk about this long, you know, as, as much as we should, but local offices, your school board, you know, county sheriff, um, city council, make a lot of those decisions that, that um, you know, impact us day to day. So it's it's kind of cultivating that, that culture that not only are we going to be bystanders in this decision-making process, we're going to have a voice, and we, the younger generations, are going to one day be the ones making those decisions, having our hands on the levers of power. But that's really got to be a community, you know, community movement, because it could be just, you know, a couple of us, and that's still important. 
but a lot of the conversations each of us has with our family, with our friends, you know, that speaks volumes louder than maybe somebody who, you know, drives out to your community and talks about voting for one day and then drives back somewhere else. It's us, our communities, our families having those conversations and knowing that, you know, voting is not the only solution, but it's an important piece of a puzzle to really build that that shared uh, decision making. Right. I mean, it has such a, an effect, positive and negative. And to, again, bring that awareness and that understanding is, is such a huge undertaking. And so, so we talked about this is where you are now. How did RJ, how did you get here? How did your path lead you to undertake, to taking this, you know, as part of your, you know, I don't want to say cross the bear, but what led you to this to say, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to affect change in my community and I'm going all in. So, so tell us the story, give us, give us the backstory. Um, we kind of started in media res, we started in the middle. So give us, give us the backstory as how RJ got here. You know, um, that's something that, that I often find myself reflecting on. Um, growing up, I didn't necessarily say, oh, when I grow up, I want to be a community organizer. Oh, I want to, you know, work at a nonprofit. Right. Um, I think a lot of it does begin with my mom and her, like, just vast amounts of selflessness in that if somebody needed something, somebody needed help, somebody needed a meal, she wouldn't even think twice. She would, you know, show up and help translate at the local Kmart when, you know, families in need needed like winter jackets or whatever. Um, she would, you know, at a drop of a dime, just go and, and help whoever needed to be, be helped. So I think um, growing up, you know, I would sometimes get mad and be like, oh, mom, why, why, why are you doing that? You know, let's instead go somewhere else to go to the movies or something. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't until I was older that I realized that. You know, she was from the mindset of, you know, one day that could be me. I could be my kids in need. So, you know, help out whoever needs help because that's the right thing to do. That's the thing to do with integrity, you know, with respect. Um, so she's really the foundation of, of me making a decision to not necessarily dedicate my life to, to other ventures as much as something that's people focused helping, you know, that's the center of it, helping. Um, coming up through college, which in and of itself was quite a, you know, it was a, a triumph to get there, let alone yes. survive and make it through and then graduate college in 2008. Um, you know, that to me was a big accomplishment, but even so it was so intimidating that maybe looking back on it now as a currently a 37 year old, you know, I, I really should have considered pushing myself in different ways, but all that helped expose me to nonprofits in general. I had a work study job as a, as a student in college. Um, so I worked at the admissions office as well. So I would go out with, uh, you know, uh, a company and admissions counselor to high schools to visit and then share my story about going to college. Um, and then my first professional job after college was at a nonprofit named Education Quest Foundation. So there I again would go out and talk to families, talk to students about not only the importance of college, but putting some of those pieces together. How do you apply for admission? How do you prepare for college? How do you find scholarships and grants and the money to help make your college goals, you know, accessible to you? Um, so I did that for about 10 years and I, and I love that work. Um, but, you know, in about 2018, uh, there was um, just a lot of the, the family separation and, and things at the border were really getting a lot of uh, attention in the media. Um, and then, you know, I, I just started to, to feel myself wanting to contribute in other areas outside of just education. So, um, so then I, you know, 2020 happened. And again, on a more local level right here in Nebraska, many uh, meat processing plant workers um, during the onset of the pandemic were still in a very vulnerable place where they, um, you know, were, were essentially 
told from up above to continue working. You got to work. You're an essential worker. Um, but the questions were regarding what kinds of safety measures were being put in place, how quickly. And at the end of the day, it's, it's you know, it's that balance beam of they won't, they keep the work going. But there's vulnerabilities to this virus that we as a society don't fully understand yet, you know, in 2020. So I saw a lot of that. And, and that was kind of the tipping point for me wanting to contribute in other areas outside of education, which I still love, you know, anything regarding college access or getting people to, to find the next step after high school. But now with my current work, I work at a nonprofit named Nebraska Appleseed, um, and I'm able to, to contribute in areas including voter participation, so getting that community energy to participate in, in um, not only voting, but also engaging with your elected officials uh, as well as talk about other uh, issues like um, positive immigration laws where many longtime community members could then, uh, you know, like DACA and, and DREAMers could then um, get a next step to apply for lawful permanent residency uh, and or citizenship, um, as well as worker safety. So when you're working like in a meatpacking plant or you're working in a construction zone, um, knowing your rights and knowing, um, you know, what are some good ways to hopefully you know, prolong your career in industries that sometimes can be very, um, very hard on the body. So a little a bit different work now. I've been doing this for about a year, year and a half. Um, love it. But um, again, I just, if it has to do with community, even if I'm not the best resource, I would love to just connect others to whatever that resource is. And I, I find that uh, amazing. And I find this amazing. A, a lot of people that I've talked to or been blessed to talk to with this podcast is um, the the role that parents or the parental figure or a special adult in someone's life plays. Because what I've heard, which is kind of uniform through all these interviews, is my mom and dad made us or not made us, my mom and dad, we had to hand out presents to other people before we opened our own presents. Or another guest said, well, you know, my parents opened their doors to anyone that needed help and helped people out and, and made sure if they needed a car fixed, they got it fixed and they didn't overcharge them. Or like you just said, you know, my, anytime a service or something was needed that your mom felt she could help, she went down there and helped in any way she could. And the profound effect that that has had on so many people and has led them to work in these fields or work as a community organizer or start a nonprofit or start some type of service that helps people. It's amazing how much influence an adult or a mentor figure can have on someone's life. And I think it's important to point that out, the, the job that your mother did by showing you, you know, versus telling or versus, you know, anything else showed you what compassion is and what compassion for other people. And as a kid, sometimes it's hard because you're like, well, mom, why can't you just hang out with me or why can't we just do this? But you see that she's helping other people. And as you get older, you see the effect that that has on where you live, how people view your mom or or view your parents or how people view that adult uh, figure in their lives. And I think that's amazing. And I think more of us that are becoming adults, <laughs> even though we can be older, we don't necessarily feel like we're an adult. But the more of us that are adults, we need to be looking at what are we leaving to the next generation? How are they viewing us? Because our work, your work may inspire someone else to take it even further in the next 20 years. And I think that's a big portion of being someone that's saying, I want to work for my community because you're giving uh, a different view of what uh, a man, a younger man, uh, a Latino man, you know, you're giving a different view of what you can be in society. And I think that's just amazing uh, how that trickles down amongst the people we've I've been able to talk to and to see that with you. So I, I think that's awesome. I wanted to give, you know, that shout out, shout out to your mom for really leading the way 
and uh, kind of giving you that that experience to say, hey, this is what I want to do. I want to help people. Um, I also want to ask, where where did you go to college at? Where did where'd you go to college? Let everybody know where you went to school at. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, so, you know, I, I was born and raised in Kearney, Nebraska, right? So um, came up through like Kearney High School, 2003. But coming up through high school, I just wanted to leave town. Like I was from that mindset of, you know, there's nothing for me here. I got to get out. Otherwise, I'll stay here forever or something, you know. And, and in Kearney, there's a really good university, you know, UNK, University of Nebraska Kearney, the Lopers. Um, but to me, it was just too close. So I actually was pretty set on um, going to the University of Nebraska Lincoln, home of the Cornhuskers, right? So um, I went there and it was kind of like a fresh start after high school. Um, and that was really the my first exposure to um, kind of that world outside of the bubble that was growing up in Kearney, Nebraska. And um, I started to also get involved in on-campus groups, uh, things like the Mexican-American Student Association, um, and even a, a fraternity that's uh, historically Latino-based, uh, Sigma Lambda Beta, and all these other organizations as well that celebrated culture in some capacity in a way that that was new to me because growing up in Kearney, it was, um, you know, predominantly a white community, um, especially, you know, back then. Um, and it was just, you know, it wasn't as, there weren't as many opportunities it felt like for a young person trying to fit in to be able to weave in culture and, you know, languages and, and family experiences um, in that manner. So, I mean, you know, when, when dad worked at a meat packing plant or mom would clean houses, some, you know, that sort of upbringing didn't always align with maybe you know, the high school community, and maybe I just didn't seek it out or didn't find it, didn't connect. But in college, I was amazed by how many students that that um, were a part of those groups, like like MASA, Mexican American Student Association, had some sort of stronger like connector there. That's like, oh wow, I didn't realize this. Oh yeah, you know my my mom did this, or oh yeah, you know our family's from you know Querétaro, Mexico, on my dad's side, you know. Um, so those little things that were so new to me and it just felt like almost like a, a different like welcome home type thing. It just fit so well. So I just really embraced that and enjoyed my college experience. Um, the classes were great. Academics, right? It's the reason yeah, you're there. Right. But I learned so many other, I think they call them soft skills yes. by working in student groups, working on campus taking positions of leadership, secretary, treasurer, vice president, eventually president of an organization on campus. So a lot of that was really like just helped me come out of my shell and really grow and um, know how to how to exist in different spaces and exist with confidence, which was something that was new to me. I, and I, that's really cool is I, I love what you said, like you, you, you found home and it's so funny that you have to leave home to find home mm. and find a place where you feel comfortable. Cause uh, I understand my, my wife's a loper, you know, my wife's a loper. She graduated from UNK. Uh, so was my brother-in-law. <laughs> so we have a connection uh, to the lopers and we have a connection to Carney having lived in Carney for a couple of years. Um, so I def definitely understand when you're saying, and I know you're trying to be very diplomatic around the topic of <laughs> um, how it was for you and how it was or how it is for other people of color and Carney. So I applaud you for being very diplomatic, but I can say it's hard. It's difficult because a lot of places you go, you're the only and I know I lived in Kearney from 2007 to 2009. And even then, you still felt like you're the only, even though there are people of color, but you're, you're put into very much a box. If you're a person of color, either you went to the school to play a sport and you're still currently playing that sport at UNK, or you either stop going to UNK or graduated and now you live in the community. So there's like people 
when they used to see me, they're like, oh, when'd you play? When'd you play for the Lopers? No, I, I didn't play for them. Really? Why are you here? <laughs> so it was like there was no other reason why a black guy could be in Carney other than he was a transplant to play sports and just decided not to leave. And so it's it's very difficult sometimes to navigate that if you don't feel comfortable, you don't know how. And in I don't know if you want to agree with me or chime in, but I think in college, one of the biggest things that gets missed when you start talking about student loans and payments and just the financial aspect of it, to me, not so much the educational part. I think it's like you said, it's the soft skills. It's learning how to exist in different spaces with different people, but still keep your internal confidence that you belong in whatever space you're in. Like you don't have to assimilate yourself to be able to walk into these different rooms. You can still be you. You can be proud in your ethnicity. You can be proud in your language. You can find other groups that help you be proud. And as you leave, now you don't feel as uncomfortable. Now, when you go back to Carney or any other place, you're like, oh, I know how to navigate this. And I think that's a very big point of college, especially going away to a school that gets missed in all the financial rhetoric that it's going around right now. Because I think that's an invaluable education that you got that really didn't have anything to do with books. Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're just really making me think because, you know, I know of, of others, either family members or friends who never maybe made a choice to step out of the bubble that we were already in. Um, and it took, took them longer to really be able to find that confidence, you know, and, and some may even still struggle. Um, so, I mean, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be college. I just want to give that space to, you know, um, it could be some sort of professional job, could be um, service or whatever. There's different, different ways, but in my particular case, it was college and in the case of many others that being out there and getting the education, but also interacting with so many other, not only students, but administrators, faculty, professors, um, community members that just opened up a whole new world. And like, I don't know, it, it never entered my mind that I could be somebody who could maybe facilitate a meeting, lead a meeting be a, a president of an organization on campus or, you know, put together a program or an event. I never once thought that could be me, you know? Um, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, looking back, you know, to life before college and, and kind of how I viewed the world, you know, a lot of it was family-based, what family experiences I had. Um, and I know in, in many families, uh, you know, it's not exclusive to immigrant families, but it's largely present within immigrant families. It's that, you know, you work hard. Oftentimes, you know, one or both parents are working long hours, so they're not always home. Um, and you kind of get that that stereotype like, oh, you know, we're hard workers. That's what we do. We work hard right. and we don't complain much. And, you know, um, we'll let the, the the bosses and whoever make the decisions, but we'll just work hard because that's what we do. And it took me a while to really see like working hard is great. And that's a good um, trait to have, you know, a good thing to, to, to have, but you also need that voice and you need that balance um, because many family members, you know, friends and, and people of, of maybe older generations, especially at least as, as I observe the world, they would work themselves and the body would start to reflect that mileage. You know, the mind would reflect that mileage. The personal relationships would reflect them being gone, working so hard. Um, that I'd, It just always stuck with me. And I find myself now, even, you know, where I'm at now, working in a nonprofit, my 10 plus years working in a nonprofit, um, I had internalized so much of, I need to work hard. I need to do this. I, who cares? I'll sleep. I'll rest later. Um, and I really appreciate where I am now because they're very like RJ, you know, take, if you need a day, whatever, you know, they're very open to that. And that's something that I just wonder if my parents would have 
been in situations where they could have had more care for their long-term well-being um, instead of just uh, the fighting to, to work, to survive and get by. Um, I just wonder, you know, how, how they would be right now. Um, Cause yeah, they, they, you know, they're reflecting the mileage of, of the long hours, long shifts and, um, and all that. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I kind of veered a little bit there, but I, I was just thinking about that, you know, the things we internalize when we're young, sometimes you don't really see or understand them until you're much older. And then you start to unravel it and be like, Oh, wow, that makes sense. Or I didn't even think about that. No, I think that's a great point. And it's okay. We, it's okay to veer because you know, every conversation and, and it's organic. Like I never want anybody to feel like this is scripted. And I, I think where you were going and what you're talking about, I think it's important. It's like, you were able to have these experiences when you went away to college, you made a decision and whether, even though you, it was a decision you consciously made, it was probably formed subconsciously with all the things you were internalizing. Like I, I got to get out of here cause I can't fall into the same trap, so to speak. Like, yes, I want to work hard, but there's gotta be something else. And what you said, and I also want to talk about, because a lot of people that may be listening feel this way too, is you get some place or you're already at a certain place in life and you feel like, oh, I can never run this meeting or I could never do this or I could never do this. And sometimes you just got to go in and do it. You have to fail fast. I heard this term one time. You fail fast. Just do it, fail and learn from it instead of prolonging it by telling yourself you can't. And so you being on campus and being involved in these organizations and work study uh, helped you learn and fail fast, you know, because the first time anyone's run a meeting, it's not the best meeting. <laughs> it's not the best meeting. The first time you ever facilitate a meeting, you know, it's not the best every time is your first presentation in college is like never really the best. You may get a good grade, but it's not really the best. And then also understanding the avenues that are open to you and the reasons why they're open because you chose a different path because you saw the path that kind of was laid out to you and you're like i don't know if i want that it's not a disrespect of the path it's just like i love that you work so hard i love that you do this i love that we just we get it done but at the same time at what cost are we getting it done what in our personal life is coming undone what in our physical bodies is coming undone and i think that has i think the not the podcast the pandemic has opened that wound larger for the world to see and i and i say wound because i say that in communities of color families of color um immigrant families i do think it's a little bit of a wound where you just put your head down, you don't make trouble, you know, everybody's dad or mom is like, don't rock the boat. That's the favorite <laughs> saying growing up, don't rock the boat, don't make waves. Just do what you got to yeah. do and come home. And I think we're seeing now a transition because the younger generation is understanding, no, we don't have to do this. I don't have to kill myself and go 90 hours a week, you know, for free just to make you feel happy. I can go 60 hours a week for myself and I can feel happy and I can feel fulfilled and I can show a different path. And I, so I think, like you said, not even having to go to college, but just understanding we can navigate different spaces and do things differently and have different experiences. And I, I think it is from that subconscious, like, I don't know if I want to break my back like this you know which sometimes can be misconstrued as being lazy wow this younger generation is lazy they don't want to do anything they want to go to school for free it's like you know work smarter not harder so uh, I, I'm, I, I like where you went with that because it that makes a difference not feeling like you see yourself in a certain position but then also not feeling like you want to be stuck in what's laid out easy for you and it's hard mm -hmm. to leave home. It is hard as hell to leave home <laughs> mm -hmm. and and navigate a new surrounding and say, I'm going to do something completely different from my family. Mm -hmm. So kudos to you and, and where that has brung you now. 
Well, thank you. Thank you. And, you know, um, that kind of reminds me too. I mean, like, I appreciate the kudos and I'll also share that it's one of the toughest things for me to allow myself to accept, you know, I'm quick to like, Oh yeah, I'd be quick to, and I even naturally thought it give kudos right back to you, which rightfully <laughs> so. And I'm, I love the work that you and, and Gladys are doing. Um, but kind of to one of the things you said earlier, it is challenging for me to be able to exist in a place where I do receive, you know, kudos. Um, and it kind of hit me too this past month. Uh, there was a conference for uh, like 11th and 12th graders or high school students, I guess. Um, so I got to see some different statewide folks that I'd, you know, either worked with or run, run into in the past and um, great to catch up with them. But there was this moment where like we were in a group and um, someone's like, oh yeah, I first met RJ when he um, helped me with my FAFSA and, you know, we had a great conversation and, you know, a lot of what he said was one of the reasons why I went to college, you know. Um, and then someone else there said, oh, yeah, well, RJ did my FAFSA, too. And, oh, yeah, you did, I, you know, RJ helped me, too. And I don't know, that just was, it was challenging, but it wasn't, it also made me feel very good and proud. And, like, I know I wasn't, like, I don't dare claim, like, being, you know, the main reason why they did such a thing, but to be able to be a part of that to be able to be a support in, you know, that time period in their lives just was really good. And then as I was driving home after the conference, I was kind of thinking about that. I'm like, wow, I need to really challenge myself to just exist in, you know, receiving some of, some of the positive responses as opposed to my natural inclination, which would be to redirect that to something else. So... No, I th I think it's good. I my wife and I, Gladys, we have this conversation a lot too. Is I think, and it's from that upbringing. And I, I'm not a child of immigrants, but just being you know an African American man and growing up in you know New York City, and and you just got to work, you got to hustle, you got to navigate. You don't understand how to take compliments well. It feels mm -hmm. weird to us because that you're. Your parents will really give you the most compliment. <laughs> like, you know, if your parents are like my parents, you really didn't get a lot of compliments, at least not to your face. They would tell other people and not you. So you grow up with not knowing how to deal with positive praise. You know how to do it. Work harder. Get it done. You're not going fast enough. Stop being lazy. You, you, we grow up with that, but we don't grow up with just for no reason. You know what, man? I, you're awesome. And you're just doing a great job and I love you. Like we don't grow up with that. Mm -hmm. And so when we get older, it's ingrained. It's like second nature to just be like, oh, no, you know, it's, it's normal. It's what I do. No worries. Uh, you know, but hey, man, you're out here doing the same thing because we just don't know how to do it. It, it really feels awkward to a lot of us in that space because it's just not. It's not what you were it's not a learned response. It's not a learned thing. And it takes us a long time to process that. And it, it can really cause issues because you can just, because then it, it can go to the other way where you're constantly deflecting. And then some people just like, just take the compliment. Like, <laughs> just take the compliment. Like, why you don't have to give me a compliment <laughs> or you don't have to, just take the compliment, you know? And you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Thank you. So no, it, it I think and we touched on something. I think we're 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 in a nice vein of this in terms of growing up certain ways and mm -hmm. having a certain type of lifestyle because mm -hmm. it takes years to impact. So if you're listening out there and you're younger, you're in like the 17, 18, 19 range. I'm 41, RJ's 37. It takes a long time to unpack the first portion of your life. So if you don't have it figured out, it's okay. If mm -hmm. you don't know how to deal with certain things, it's okay. Because I think when you're 28 and over, you're just starting to figure out how to unpack everything that happened from 26 down. And you're like, okay, how does this affect me? Why do I do this? Why am I like this? And 
a lot of it has to do with our experience and a lot of it has to do with what we go through culturally. So yeah, I think that's that's really that's that's really like, like kind of deep in terms of we're always constantly finding ourselves and we're always constantly understanding that something played a part in how we digest stuff in like something in the past plays a part in why we digest stuff in the future. Mm. So yeah, it's yeah. It's definitely difficult cuz I feel like that sometimes too. It's hard for me to take a compliment. I'm just like, ah, yeah, um, you know, like I don't know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's um it's interesting because, you know, everybody's journey is different. Like, you know, there's maybe little elements you can take from someone else's journey and take something from that, you know, but your journey is your own. Um but at this stage in my life, I'm also realizing that a lot of folks who who I used to view like oh that's a successful person um they largely i i've seen many signs and evidence of they too don't have everything figured out they too make mistakes they too need to learn and grow um and sometimes they'll even know they need to learn and grow right um so that's that's something that kind of helped me demystify you know and at least calm some of the pressures um, because again, you know, it could be a pressure of maybe there's not a lot of money and the finances at home are, are not stable. And maybe you as a young person has a responsibility to even your parents, you know, um, it could be something with the, you know, in the realm of health, maybe some, you or somebody you love is going through a health battle, a lot of different stressors in life. But one thing that I've learned is that you know, we each have our own journey, but we each are also continually in need of learning and growing and sharpening skills, gaining new skills, because we don't all have it figured out. Like that was one of the most liberating things to me that I learned in my journey is that you can fail, you know, be, be smart, you know, and have different, different ways of recovering and bouncing back from that failure. But failure will get you that step closer to figuring out what your what your you know successful solution is going to be whether it be internally what do you want to do with your life you know what kind of life do you want to build whether it be externally you know what kinds of relationships do you want to have in your life what kind of people do you want to allow in um it's a constant like just a constant learning and that I think never is going to end. Like, yeah. Nor it shouldn't. I want to do that. I want to backtrack. I, I like backtracking because mm -hmm. we, we, we get on <laughs> so many good topics and you, you discuss journey and your journey never really ends and you're constantly moving forward. You, and you talked about leaving Kearney, Nebraska, going to Lincoln, Nebraska for college. And so you're all the experiences you had in Lincoln. What was your like, what was it like your journey in Lincoln more so when your time in college is coming to end? Cause I think when you're in school, your first couple years, you're like, yeah, I'm you, all you think about is your first couple years. And then when you're about to graduate, you, the clock is like, wait, what? I gotta, <laughs> I gotta leave the dorm. I gotta leave free cable. Huh? And then, so <laughs> what, what was that journey like when you're getting ready to leave Lincoln UNL, University of uh, Lincoln, Nebraska, when you're ready to leave there and you're ready to step into the professional realm, take us through that journey. Mm. Yeah, that uh, for me was a very um, kind of a, a lot of pain and failing and stumbling and also learning and growing came from that um, because in my case, you know, as I was getting close to the end of college, that was kind of the end of all the, the connect the dots that I had previously in my life. You know, you go to school, you go to high school, you go to college, you know, keep your grades up and, and all that. But the next dot, you know, on my trajectory here was not, um, was not on the paper yet. It just wasn't drawn out. 
Um, so it was that not knowing what the next step was. Um, and in retrospect, you know, I, I should have listened to other voices around me to try to plan that next step. So I had a smooth transition after I graduated. But, um, you know, personal things in life, um, you know, being in, falling in love and that sort of stuff, you know, when you're young and, you, you know, um, just blurred my vision of what I wanted to do. So I graduated. I actually graduated uh, summer of 2008 in a hurry because I wasn't planning to. I was planning to still continue in, in the fall of 2008. Um, but I got a letter saying I was getting close to my limit on financial aid. So um, I didn't know at the time that was simply a warning. I thought it was like, oh, no, I got to hurry up and graduate. So I, I talked to my advisor and they, you know, we mapped it out and I was able to graduate summer 2008. Um, a lot of things were happening nationally as well, 2008, and like the recession and everything. But in my case, I didn't know what to do. So I went back home to Kearney. And it's funny. Um, I said my first professional job was was at Education Quest, right? And a nonprofit. But that didn't happen until a couple of years after I had graduated from college. And my first, um, I guess, job after college was working at a turkey plant. That's where my dad worked at a small town um, next to Kearney. And um, so that was such an eye-opening experience. Um, I, To be honest, I only lasted, I think, three days. It was rough. I mean the lines and the smells and the heat and then the cold and um my body was worn down and i was a young person right i'm you know mid-20s not even mid-20s um but i was exhausted we're up super early to go to work by the time you get home it's you know already getting dark and then you get up and do the same thing again six days a week um so that really was tough for me to try that out because i wanted some money to to, you know, um, just needed some money quickly. And um, so that didn't pan out. I did a couple temp jobs here and there in Kearney, but just a lot of uh, disillusionment, I guess. I'm like, did I, did I hit my ceiling already? Did, am I done? I'm like, what am I doing with my degree? My degree uh, was in film and in Spanish. Okay. So I did get involved locally, um, just on like some small projects, but not paying and not, you know, didn't really materialize into a whole lot of opportunities. Um, and, but I did get a job at uh, a factory in Kearney to try to, again, get some money under me because student loan payments were due. And, and, you know, I helped out here and there from my family. Right. Uh, that pressure you talked family. about. Yeah. I was saying that, that, you that feel pressure. That, start feeling that pressure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I worked for about a good year or so. And I saved up enough money because I wanted to move to L.A. You know, you work, at, you know, filmmaking and screenwriting is one of the things I enjoy doing outside of, of you know, the community work. Um, so I saved up and I, I went to L.A. Um, and again, ran out of money. That seemed to be a recurring thing in my life. You know, I know that's a thing like, ah, you got to you got to pay money for stuff. Sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I had to, you know, come back, drive back, yeah, to Nebraska from L.A. in my 1991 Buick Century. Um, great car, <laughs> was my favorite car I've ever had so far. Um, it probably was good on gas mileage. It was, it was, yeah, it was excellent. So I came back, and uh, so I happened to see Education Quest was hiring at the time, and with my previous work as a student uh, in the admissions world and also other on-campus jobs. Um, that made me a strong contender. So I went and, and I, um, it's funny cause I didn't have enough money to, and enough gas in the tank to drive to Lincoln from Kearney, okay. but I had stopped at a gas station and put in some money and I ended up with $1 getting a scratch ticket. You know, it's whatever, right. You know, I was grasping for straws here. And this is um, what great, this is what great screenplays are made of. Cause I feel right. like I know where this is going. Good bit. So the life of RJ, this is a good turning <laughs> point here. <laughs> so I got the scratch ticket and I scratched it and I won 40 bucks. So that was enough to fill up my gas tank and not be stressed to drive to Lincoln. Um, and then did the interview, drove back home and 
they eventually followed up and wanted to offer me the position. So that's it's very amazing how things sometimes fall into place. That is a I don't want to say hallmark or a lifetime. That's but that's very <laughs> award winning. No, it's it's serious. Like I, we we're kind of making light of it. Um, but I don't want to think that I don't respect that because you feel that it had to have been like a point of time when you're like, like nothing's going right. And like, you just, you feel like you're at the low and you take a flyer, you scratch, you get $40 and you're like, I can drive to this interview. And then you get the job. And like you said, the people write screenplays about that. That's what mm-hmm. gets shown in movies. Those are that life changing moments that lead to bigger and better things and not saying the podcast is the bigger and better thing but here you are talking about your work in the community talking about all these things that led up to you being able to help others with all of these experiences i mean how much knowledge can you impart to when you were working at education quest to young high school kids going to college to be like yeah hey i went to la to figure things out or i worked here and figured things out you definitely don't want to work at a turkey plant so don't go to school and mess up because you're gonna have to make money and there's all not always a lot of opportunities out there to make money and there are some things that are backbreaking and if that's not what you want to do then we need to focus and there's a great experiences to draw on which is why when you were at that conference, those kids stood up and was like, yeah, RJ helped me do this and RJ helped me do this because you had those experiences to lean on to show them to say, hey, I've done this. So trust me on the path. I'm trying to put you on because it's going to be a good one. So that's awesome. So the Hollywood movie ends. You get the job. <laughs> You're at Education Quest. Mm. And tell us about, tell me about Education Quest. Yeah, you know, it's, it's a private nonprofit. Um, the mission is to um, help Nebraskans get access to higher education. So whatever form that might be, community college or university or trade school, whatever. Um, so it's statewide, different offices, uh, Lincoln, Omaha, Kearney and Scotts Bluff. Um, and everything is free. So no, nothing's being sold. You don't have to subscribe, pay money to, to get any of the services. Um, and a lot of strong partnerships with high schools. So you work in the schools with the students. So that was a really good thing that I valued. Um, you know, thinking about that, when I started it there, I'll never forget the day that that was my first day. Um, and again, I was still living in Kearney. So I drove, I drove that morning um, to be at work by like 8.30. And then, um, you know, they initially you talk to HR and everything, you know, and they talk about, you know, benefits and 401k. And I had no idea really what that was, but, you know, I went ahead and nodded my head and signed up and stuff. Um, and then I, I got to spend time with my team, my new team, and um, they showed me around in my office and I had my own office. I had a desk. I had a little name, um, you know, thing that said Romulo Vega. Um I had a plant, I had a window, and I just needed to take like five minutes, like after they gave me the tour, I just sat in silence in that office because at that moment, and I'll never forget, at that moment, I thought of my mom and I thought of the times she would take me as a little kid to go clean houses, and I didn't know any better. I just thought it was fun. Um, I thought of the times that we would work in the bean fields in central Nebraska Again, I'd be little toddler, whatever, little little guy. Um, but I thought it was normal. I thought of my mom's working holidays, you know, long hours. She worked overnights. I thought of um, her not eating, going without eating many occasions. And all of that, the life that she lived and the life she provided for us was so that I could sit in this office and not have to work in the way that she worked. I could have more voice and control over my life and the decisions being made, as opposed to just being told what to do, being told to clean this or do that, you know? Um, So at that moment I sat in silence and that's when it all clicked. 
I understood why she, she didn't really know about like steps to guide me to college. She didn't really know. She, she would stop going to school um, when she was 15, I believe. Um, out of necessity, she had to help, you know, my grandparents and the family at the time uh, financially. So she went to work right away since she was 15. Um, so she never got that, that chance to go down that path. Um, it clicked for me though, why she would always be very strict and say, you're going to college. You're not going to be doing what I'm doing. I don't want to see you breaking your back doing this kind of work. And I don't care what you do. Just go to college. Um, that's when it clicked for me, you know, and, and that's a moment I'll, I'll never forget. And even going around talking to students, talking to groups, parents, and even now talking to community members in general, you know, I feel like every time I'm on a stage or I talk into a group, you know, she's there with me because without her, I don't know if any of that would have even happened, you know? Um, so I don't know. That's, that's kind of, was a very impactful moment in my life. And, um, I know other parents and family members and older siblings and, and other mentors, you know, have that same impact on so many of us in different ways. Um, you know, just definitely, you know, there's a lot of strength to be taken from, from those moments. Man, that, that is a powerful story. Thank you for sharing that. Because I'm pretty sure that's going to resonate with someone else or just the fact that it's going to allow someone else to be empowered by your story. Um, because it is. I mean, just just starting from saying, I'm going to, I got to come back from L.A., you feel like you didn't make it or maybe felt like it's a fail. Like, ah, I wish it didn't work. And you're on your last dollar. You win 40, which allows you to get the interview, you know, which I think is awesome. Like, I'm going to repeat that because that's <laughs> that's pretty cool. You know, you win 40 bucks and it allows you to drive to this interview. And, you know, you, you interview well, you get the position and you have to sit in silence because you're in an office, something that other people may have taken for granted. Oh, here's my office. Or can I put this in there? Cause you know, and you're like, Man, I, I had a plant, you know, I got a name tag. My name is on the door, you know, and, and mm -hmm. things like that. And I think other people take for granted in their journey are, I think what separates certain people is because certain people would have taken that for granted and you were able to sit and genuinely reflect and say, this is why my mom did what she did. And that's just, that's a beautiful moment that you were able to encapsulate in your own life. And then a beautiful moment that you're able to share on this podcast with myself and the listeners. So I just really want to say thank you. I don't have too much to add to that other than thank you very much. <laughs> Um, thank you. Yeah. And, you know, especially if there's any younger listeners, you know, um, definitely encourage you all to give to those who have chosen to give to you. Um, make them feel special. I mean, whether it's a parent or a mentor or somebody, um, I don't know, just doing little things to make them feel good at least for me, has, has made me feel like very fulfilled. Um, one of the greatest, I guess, feelings in the world um, was to be able to take my mom on certain vacations, places she never could go, you know, um, like Walt Disney World or, you know, to, we went to um, Playa del Carmen in, in Mexico, next to Cancun. Uh, so those sorts of experiences that she had never even thought of doing before to be able to give her that sort of experience, you know, uh, it was just a very magical feeling as well. So even if it's a thank you note or something, box of chocolates or something for somebody who has impacted your life, uh, just think about what you can do to, to make them feel special. 
You heard it here. So Romulo w- wants a lot of box of chocolate. So we should send <laughs> send those into the show, and we'll pass those on to RJ. Um, <laughs> as we're as we're winding down, and and we've gone through the journey of of education quest, and can you let people know where you currently are? Because we I know you're a community organizer and you're working with Get Out to Vote, but where are you currently? What's the nonprofit you're currently working for now? Yeah, um, I currently work for Nebraska Appleseed. So uh, we do statewide work, um, areas of, uh, well, I'm a part of the Immigrants and Communities Program. So a lot of the work I do is focused on serving, um, you know, immigrant families and rural communities and connecting um, community members to uh, either information, resources, or just helping have some of those community conversations whether it be voting, worker safety, whether it be um, advocating for um, positive immigration laws to your congressional uh, representatives, uh, those sorts of things, um, just helping community members uh, get the tools they need to to move, try to move things forward. Awesome. Awesome. And it seems like a great place and a great fit for you. And I'm thankful for the words of saying to somebody like what you just said before in terms of making sure if someone's had a positive impact and let them know, you know, give them a card, tell them face to face. That's just amazing. And then before we head out, I've got like two questions. Okay. One, one is it's going to be completely somewhat off topic. What is your give me your top five movies? It's hard because I'm a movie person and I mm-hmm. could give you 30. But just if the quickest off the top of your head, what do you think your top five movies? Yeah, that's uh I know it's a hard it's one. I'm giving you a hard one. <laughs> um, you know, I could probably rewatch a couple different movies, like nonstop. Um I really liked uh I do like the Kill Bill movies. Um there's fun and, and Pulp Fiction. So both Tarantino yes. uh, movies. Um, I really love uh, The Empire Strikes Back. I just, that's my favorite probably of, of the Star Wars movies. Um, but I love pretty much anything Star Wars. Um, you know, the first Pirates of the Caribbean was really fun at that time. It like, was good when it first came out. It was. Yeah, you know, it's, what, 2003 or whatever. Yeah. Just a fun little movie that probably shouldn't have of worked, but it worked. Really well. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean that, and gosh, I don't know. I there's just so many. That's a tough one. There's a lot. It's hard. I have a funny story about Pirates of the Caribbean, though. <laughs> so <laughs> Pirates of the Caribbean, Caribbean came out the same time as Bad Boys Two, and mm-hmm. I was uh, still in college. So don't fault me for this. People who are like, oh, I can't believe you did that. So we brought <laughs> tickets to Pirates. So it's like, so purposely, you and this is back in the day when you had to look in the newspaper for times of when your movie started or call the theater. Couldn't just look it up on your phone. So I found out the times of Pirates of the Caribbean and Bad Boys 2. And when, so that way, when Pirates of the Caribbean ended, Bad Boys 2 would be started. And it was, I knew it was going to be packed because it was like those two movies are getting hyped up for everything. So we brought a ticket for Pirates of the Caribbean and it was packed full. And then as it was letting out, um, Bad Boys 2 happened to be on the same side of the theater and it was packed and everybody was going in. So I just kind of happened to follow the crowd to Bad Boys 2 <laughs> and I, I found a seat. And I just was I was able to watch Bad Boys too, and I think I missed like maybe the first couple coming attractions, but yeah, I got to see um, Pirates <laughs> of the Caribbean the day it opened, and Bad Boys Two the day it opened. So that's my that's my Pirates <laughs> of the Caribbean story right there. So so don't fault me. Yes, I snuck into yes. a movie. I watched it unpaid. You know they 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 got me later when I had to pay for. Um, whatever cable box I was streaming in 2008 mm. when, when I was watching it. So whatever mm. satellite TV dish, I paid it back anyway. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Don't do that at home kids. <laughs> no. <laughs> and uh, my last thing, 
uh, where I don't want to give your personal information out, but if people wanted to either find a way to get in touch with Nebraska Appleseed or the program that you work for or work within, how would they go about doing that? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, if it's something, you know, um, like community work and, and that sort of stuff, um, definitely feel free to email me and I can share my email address uh, with you, Chris, afterwards, but I'll say it out loud too. Uh, it's just rvega at neappleseed.org. And I'd love to hear from you. Um, and then, you know, if it's more just, you know, whether it be something in the film related or something different matter, uh, you know, I'm on social media and stuff. We can connect in, in that manner. Well, awesome. Perfect. If you want to get in touch with RJ, send him an email. Uh, he just he, We have it here on the podcast. We'll put it in the description as well. So send RJ an email if you want to get in touch. Uh, hopefully that means you've listened to the whole podcast. So I appreciate you and thank you very much. And again, I am your host, Chris Cox of the Wild Ones podcast. And RJ is definitely someone who is working in love daily. We appreciate you being on the show. And as always, everybody, have a wonderful day, evening, night, whenever you're listening. And peace.